Welcome back to another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. I'm Courtney, joined with Trevor. And before we delve into today's episode, we're talking about lifestyle inflation today. But before we get into that, let's just recap this past month. We have undergone Take Action April and we still have one week left. So if you haven't entered our book giveaway, you still have time. Send us an email with your goal that you've been working towards. And we would love to enter you into our book giveaway draw. Trevor, what book are we giving away this month? Yeah, this week we're giving away the book uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's a book based on, uh, it's a modern day spin on Stoicism, which is a Greek uh, and slash Roman philosophy. So it's a, it's a very interesting read. I'm, I'm, I'm just about done and I'm, I'm probably, it's one of those books I'm probably going to read twice. So Take Action April is coming to a close soon, but look forward to May. We'll, we will be doing Minimalism May. All the details about that will be up on the website, livelifesimple.ca as of May 1st. And we'll talk more about that in our next episode, but just look forward to that. We're really excited about May's challenge and the book giveaway we'll be doing for that. So Trevor, without further ado, let's delve into lifestyle inflation. So before we really delve into what this is per se by strategies, can you just give our listeners an oversight of what lifestyle inflation is in a little nutshell? Yeah, it comes in a lot of different forms, but it's primarily when you get an increase in pay, you also simultaneously increase your spending. You do that for a lot of reasons, but lifestyle inflation really is, it it just incrementally creeps up on you. And we're not talking about inflation. Uh, Things go up in, in, in in cost because of inflation. That's the consumer price index impact. But lifestyle inflation is when you you start buying fancier or more luxurious things as your pay increases. And unfortunately, I'd say unfortunately, we live in a society where this is just, it seems normalized. Yeah, it's, the keep keeping up with the Joneses, I'm sure everyone's familiar with that concept. That That is a, a big driver of lifestyle inflation. So I we are going to get into why this is so problematic and, and how it really infe- affects all of our listeners on an individual level because I am sure, Trevor, do you think there's a listener who's not affected by lifestyle inflation at, at, at any level? Well, I would say no because I was affected by lifestyle inflation at a very young age. In my at the very, very early in my working career, I, I became a victim of lifestyle inflation. So I think it, it strikes early and it strikes often. And I really like this topic because, especially because the two perspectives we bring to this, Trevor, and that I've yet to really delve into a working career where lifestyle inflation can really affect me, whereas you're kind of the tail end of it. So hopefully if we have listeners somewhere in between, they can really resonate with what we have to say. So there's some strategies. We're, we're focusing on two articles this episode, um, two fantastic articles. I will have them in the show notes that you can refer back yourself. We highly recommend uh, reading these both. They're so enlightening. But one is called Keeping Lifestyle Inflation at Bay by Trent Ham. We'll be focusing primarily on this article. But the other fantastic supporting article is called Nine Ways to Avoid Lifestyle Inflation, Spending Less When You Earn More by Jacqueline Curtis. And it was posted in Spending and Saving. So those are the two articles. So Trevor, I'm just going to go through the strategies that Trent Ham has outlined in his article. So one is have big, meaningful, long-term goals. Strategy two, keep those goals front and center. Strategy three, save your raises. Strategy four, recognize that stuff rarely buys lasting happiness. 
Strategy five, be mindful of the cost when evaluating what others have. Strategy six, maintain a family budget. Strategy seven, budget for personal expenses. Strategy eight, choose substance over style. Strategy nine, build friendships with people that have similar or lesser budgets and philosophies. In strategy 10, test drive lifestyle upgrades and see if they bring lasting joy. So for our listeners who maybe aren't quite sure if they are fully affected by lifestyle inflation, this concept does, it seems basic. It seems like it happens to everyone. But at what point in your life did you really become to understand that you were wrapped up in lifestyle inflation? Because both these authors of these articles realized themselves when they hit this point where they acquired so much debt that they were victim of lifestyle inflation well what happened to me was when i graduated from school i bought a a new car big mistake but i did that and i worked i had a job and i worked it for about a year and i really didn't like it and i found a, a higher paying job not dramatically higher paying but you know noticeably higher paying and shortly after getting that job i went out and bought a car that cost twice as much so i traded in my old car and you, we talked about the depreciation losses and all that. And I, I got a, a new car that was, it was the sport model of the car I already had. And it was significantly more money. So right there was, a, I, I committed to spending way more money than I had g- increase in pay from the new job. So that was my first sort of uh, consequence of lifestyle inflation. And that was at a very young age. I was in my early 20s. So what it sounds like is that you purchased something because you had the money to purchase, you had the means to purchase that. So you did, you just went with it. And I think that is something, that's something I really want to talk about in this episode is how that happens, that you just, you're given more means and then it allows you to spend more money and that becomes dangerous. So I do want to point out one great statistic, which I, I find very, um, very enlightening, but above making more than $40,000 a year doesn't make you happier over the long run. And the, this is incredible to to see because we we did have an episode on money by happiness in the past. If you haven't heard it, definitely go back and listen to it. It was a great episode. Um, but this kind of is the same idea. Well, if, if anyone's familiar with the Maslow hierarchy of needs, once you meet those basic needs, uh, happiness is a diminishing return. So it, it so obviously the forty thousand dollars a year is going to keep you off the street and a roof over your head and food in your stomach, and then after that you're. The, the needs that you're trying to satisfy become less and less meaningful. So now that we've delved a little bit into what lifestyle inflation is, let's go through the strategies that Trenham has outlined uh, through this article. So strategy number one is have big, meaningful, long-term goals. I, I've said on this podcast before, I have a goal of retiring at 55, and that's helped me prioritize my spending and and determine what's important and what isn't. And without those long-term goals, it, it really... You don't have a destination or a target. When you, if you're if you're saving money, you really don't know why. You're just sort of saving money, and it seems meaningless. So you're saying that the creation of long-term goals is just going to benefit your motivation to want to save that money in general. Well, if you're working a stressful job and you're just stacking up money with no particular purpose in mind, it, it kind of becomes you know it kind of loses meaning. And it's, it would be hard to stay motivated, I think. This this article re- points at a really great point in that, I mean, any listener who's my age, early 20s, maybe doesn't know exactly what their life is going to be like in five years. I mean, that's the boat I'm in. But this article points out that you should think 
don't think what your life will be like in five years live like you want your life to be in five years and this resonates very deeply with me I'm not sure if any of your listeners out there have heard of the idea of a vision statement but it's creating statements that really reflect what you how you want to be or what you want to be doing in the future but you make it as if you are already there so you state I am successful in my career so you, you state what you want your life to be and then you actualize that vision statement. So I think this this is a concept that I think really, really resonates with this article and, and what what this point is trying to come come across with. That is quite interesting. So you're saying you would you would say you would you would sort of define where you want to be and then you would trace the step steps back to where you currently are. Is that kind of how you would d- develop that? It's, it's more like you pretend you're already there. So pretend pretend losing weight is your goal and, and then you have to determine how to get there from where you currently are is that uh... no i'll give you an example so if, if pretend we, you want to lose weight so or, or you want to have a healthier body i guess healthier body you your vision statement would be i eat food that nourishes my body i give myself the exercise it needs i am active and care about my body in every way so that you you state that and the more you state what you want the more you will work towards achieving it, you begin to believe that that is true. Mm, okay, well that's interesting. I've never heard of that concept. I'll uh, I'll link I'll I'll put some links in the show notes for our listeners who want to c- further explore the idea of vision statements because it works in all aspects of your li- of your life, not just what you want to look like, but what you want to do. And this is really really uh, valuable for achieving goals because it, it keeps you focused on your goal because it's just this reinforcing. Uh, positive message because Trevor how often do we reinforce negative messages in our mind oh constantly exactly. it's, it's, it's almost a daily routine for, for so me. this this feels a little bit uncomfortable because you're pu- pushing these positive messages into your head and and you don't write you don't believe them at first because they're not true but the longer you believe this it'll it'll really it'll really bridge that gap between where you are right now and where you want to be you know, that's interesting because a lot of times I think about where I don't want to be or, 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 or things I don't want to happen to me. I, I do, do focus on that a lot rather than what you're suggesting is the positive. Definitely. And I, I, again, it's, it's just the society we live in and that we're, we are focused on more of the negatives as opposed to the positives. Let's move on to number two, though. Strategy two, keep those goals front and center. You, you know, you could, it's as simple as putting something on your fridge like a, a picture of a, a vacation destination but uh, the key is our take action April. The key is to r- write down your goals. You know, document it, write it down. It creates a level of accountability. It makes you ac- accountable to yourself just by writing it down. You can't, you can't change it. You can't, you know, downgrade that goal when it appears to be too, too challenging. So it, by writing it down, it becomes, you know, you maybe date that as well, so you know. Uh, that uh, I've committed to it on this day and it, this is how far I've progressed in this given period of time. But more than just writing down the actual steps, I think the actual st- actionable steps are so important because it does give you, and this is, I think, the emphasis, the day-to-day um, goals or things that you do every day that will amount to achieving that long-term goal. And, and you need to make it easy on yourself. Like You need to... Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a thing called a debt snowball. If nobody's ever heard of it. So just say you have a whole bunch of debt. You know, you have uh, car loans, credit card debt, uh, home equity line of credit, uh, maybe just other random student loans. So you have all these debts and you have a goal of being debt free. So the, you would, the debt snowball would say you should take the 
regardless of interest rates, you take the smallest debt first and you pay it off and you keep working toward them. And when I say make it easy, by starting with the smallest debt first, you get a small win. And that motivates you to tackle the next one, which is a little bit bigger, but still the smallest debt left. And you knock that off, you get another win. You start stacking these wins up and you just you just get motivated. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill, getting bigger and bigger and faster and faster. So the debt snowball is a great example of, of a goal. Uh, you document it, that you want to be debt-free. You know, you set a target date and then those steps to get there. I love that concept because it, it seems a little bit counter counterintuitive in that if you have this if you have a large piece of debt, that seems like the piece of debt that you want to get off your shoulders first and then you think about the little debt. So but I but I love this because it doesn't it's it's very counterintuitive. Well, a lot of people would say, Oh, you should tackle the debt with the highest interest rate first. Right? It might be your credit card debt, you know, this is the one you should tackle first. But if if it's not your smallest, the debt snowball said you sh- says you shouldn't tackle that one first. But if you think about it, if you if you try to apply math to getting out of debt, well, that's not how you got into debt by your inability to do math. So why would you all of a sudden think math is that important to getting out of debt? Oh, exactly, and it's 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 behavioral. So if you do apply that the behavioral strategy and and working towards it's, the small wins, you are going to win. Exactly, and and I I'm glad you you saw that in my example because I w- that was my next thing was to explain that that but obviously I explained it well enough that you, that you got that so no I really like that and that's so perfect for uh, strategy two, and, and and working towards achieving achieving what you can achieve and what will keep you motivated. And you know with 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 things like uh, iPhones and people are constantly holding and looking at them. Put your goal, you know, maybe a. Uh, Long and short-term goal on your home screen or your phone. That's actually one of the and, examples and it, that uh, Trent Ham used. Oh, it was yeah, create create that as your screensaver on your on your phone or, or or your computer. Let's move on to strategy number three: save your raises. This one uh, I'm a fan of, it, and anybody who has direct direct deposit payroll, and a lot of people do today, you can you can direct your pay to uh, multiple accounts, like a checking account, a savings account, and another savings account. So when I get a raise, an increase in pay. I go onto the my our system at work and and direct that increased amount of money to my savings account, not my checking account where I do my primary spending from. So it becomes invisible to me, and the saving becomes savings becomes automatic. In this article, Trent Ham even says that it can be redirected into your retirement savings account. And I think that's a great idea too because it's directly working towards achieving that long term goal. If retirement is your long term goal, which for most people it is. I do want to tie this strategy into one from Jacqueline Curtis's article, and it, it's calculate the real changes to your budget. And she kind of breaks down the math about what happens when you do get a raise. So, in in Jacqueline Curtis's uh, example, she says if your boss offers you a twelve thousand dollar annual raise, that works out to one thousand dollars a month. Subtract four hundred dollars per month for taxes, and your huge raise—the twelve thousand dollar raise raise is now $600 per month. And that kind of puts it into perspective. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people get burned. You know, they, they hear the, the, everyone talks gross income. And the, the funny thing is nobody ever sees gross income. So it's, it's the only, and, and you know, the gross to net deductions off your pay is, is such a mystery because it's not constant. It fluctuates. You max, you may max out on certain deductions and your pay goes up in later parts of the year. And it is is such a uh, a mystery, but 
you have to calculate it. There's other things that come off your pay. You could have uh, benefits that you pay for. Uh, you could have pension d- deductions if you have a, uh, a pension plan where you work and you can contribute toward it. And by the time that net amount rolls around, it's it's a pretty small number. So it's it's something to keep in mind. And I think this can be a real trigger to lifestyle inflation. Is if if you got a twelve you know thousand dollar a month raise, and you go and and spend that thousand dollars on more luxuries, you've actually you're you're worse off than before you got your raise. Let's just take this back to you, Trevor. When you do you remember the first time you got a raise and what did you do with that raise? What was your mentality? I, I feel like you're I mean, I haven't had my first raise, which is why I'm asking you this. And that d- did you get out of hand? Did your spending kind of just just go over the moon for a bit? Well, people get raises for different reasons. So some people get a you know increase in pay when they change jobs. So that's that's one one way of getting a raise. Another one is uh you might get annual increases in your pay, which are really uh, designed to keep up with inflation. So there, I'll call them inflationary or, or cost of living uh, increases. And then you get increases with a job promotion within the same organization. So I've been burned by switching jobs. I told you that example where I bought a car, my first job, or my second job. And I've also had some promotions along the way. And they're always delivered in in percents, you know. You know, you get a fifteen percent pay increase, or I think once I got a twenty five percent pay increase, and you do the math on that. And so, so when I so another time I switched jobs, I switched uh, from one company to another, and I had to move from one town to another because of that job, especially the town I live in now. And I had a substantial increase in pay by uh, by switching jobs, and I. I bought a house, so my whole life changed, right? I, I moved from one town to another. I had to buy a completely different house. And my, my whole cost of living went up. And I I for sure spent more money than I my pay increase delivered at a net basis. So I I was burned in a, in a huge way that way. Also, my wife uh, became a stay-at-home mom in that move. And so I, I probably... Net net, I, my pay didn't go up at all for a family household income, but my my spending went up. So I was uh, I was in a bit of a hole. Now I I got some promotions along the way, and I was able to keep my lifestyle at you know maintained at that current level. So I I re- I recovered, but it it certainly impacted me early. Looking back, it it sounds like you you did things at a necessity, and you didn't acquire acquire debt and maybe get into a little bit of a financial uncomfortable situation and in that moment when you first moved because of maybe bad decisions because you were making good decisions you're moving to a town with a job so that was all moving your family was a part of that process but looking back would you have stayed where you were in order not to um, maximize I guess on your on your increased income I guess well I, I mentioned this in a show before what happened was we lived in the city me and my wife both both worked, and it was taking both of our incomes to support that life, like the life we had in the city, because it, it costs more to live in the city, housing, transportation, everything else. And then we had twins, and the the math did, didn't work for either of us to stay home to raise those twins, and the math didn't work to send them off to daycare, so we had to come up with a a plan to change that. So we moved to a a, a low cost area, a smaller town where. Houses cost less. Uh, transportation distances were shorter, so we were 
well, my wife was able to stay home and raise our twins. But I had made some assumptions about, you know, that house would cost less, transportation would cost less. And some of my assumptions were, were accurate and some of them were, were not accurate. It turns out the transportation costs, the cost of maintaining a car, I had discounted dramatically for moving to a small town because of the reduced mileage I'd be driving. But it, it turns out there's, there's still a lot of maintenance cost to a car, even if you don't drive it a lot. So I, I had that uh, sort of that calculation was not dialed in too accurately. But I think the key to making decisions, big decisions like that, which sounds like you did, and hopefully maybe our listeners can take it away from, is that you really thought long and hard about this, made deliberate actions, made deliberate decisions, and really thought through everything. And and you did make assumptions, and, and some were right, some were wrong, but I think creating those assumptions in your head and being aware of, of everything is, is something that can get you on the right track. Well, one of the things that... That the the banks don't help you. So when I moved to this town, I, I went to the bank to apply for a mortgage with my new job and my new income, and they would have loaned me a whole a lot more money than I actually used, and I I might still be paying for that house today if I would have taken all the money they were willing to that that I qualified for. So I things could have worked out a lot worse. I mean, my life the banks will let you inflate your lifestyle by a, quite a bit. It, I think they're what they use as ratios for uh, income to debt ratios for approving people for mortgages. I think are way out of whack because they were willing to loan me a lot more money than I was comfortable borrowing. I'm very happy you brought that point up because it's something that maybe all the listeners aren't aware of is just how how much the bank is not looking out for you and how you have to really look out for yourself. Well, as as with cars, the bank, they kept focusing on monthly payments, monthly payments. But I kept looking at, I have to pay this whole thing back. I, I get the monthly payment and how important it is because it has to fit into your, your you get, you know, your income and, and in your expenses. It all has, the math has to work. But at the end of the day, I have to pay it all back. And I just wasn't comfortable with the, the amount of money they were throwing, you know, willing to loan me. So moving on to strategy number four, recognize that stuff rarely buys lasting happiness. Uh, one of the things they mentioned in this article is the 80-20 rule. And I'm going to put a different spin on it, but we use 20% of the things we own 80% of the time. I used to be uh, sort of focused on material possessions, but I, I really, I've moved away from that. I, I'm more focused on experiences now. And we will talk about how this article stresses that spending on experiences is maybe more valuable than spending on things. I do want to highlight one very great example and the one that really resonates with me because it really was how I was raised in that uh, Trenham says that the vacations that he's, that he's taken, there are some high spots during the vacations, but most of those high spots, quote, could have occurred on a camping vacation with a, within a few hundred miles of home, end quote. So I like, I really like this because it, it basically, it speaks to how, how I derive experiences and maybe some of our listeners as well in that it really doesn't matter where you go or how far away you go. Yes, maybe the scenery is different or, or the view, but I think it's the, the, the memories that you create wherever you go, and that's what this point is really stressing. You know, whenever I'm on a, in on a vacation in some faraway place, I'll always take note of the, the roads and the sidewalks, and they look so much like the roads and sidewalks at home. You know, the, it, it just brings back that things aren't so different here. That's a that's a great a great 
point. And I, I like that you look at that because it, it really brings you kind of back down, back down to earth. And well, when I've paid, a, when I've paid a lot of money to go away somewhere and I see a lot of familiar things, it really is disheartening. Oh, for sure. Because you go all this way and it, it looks the same. And I think that maybe that's something that individuals who f- feel they can't experience the same things close to home that they can't far away, maybe lose sight of in that I just want to say, if you think of a vacation advertisement or promotion, a lot of times they show palm trees in in the photographs. And that's because, you know, so if you're from the north, you don't have palm trees. So they're trying to show you something you don't have. That's a great point because look at it the other way. I mean, I think probably a majority of our listeners are here in Canada. But there are people who I'm sure come to Canada to see the snow and see the trees that we have here. So, I mean... I'm a proponent. I want to travel across Canada personally before I'm more excited to travel across Canada than other places. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, I want to travel other places, but I I, I really like Canada scenery. So I, I think it's important not to lose sight of what's in your backyard and, and what you can adventure and see close to home as well. And that it doesn't have to be far exotic locations, but it's just about creating memories and, and making your adventures your own and not what society says you should go see so at, at no point are trevor and i putting down traveling i mean who doesn't want to travel and experience different cultures and different and different scenes and different experiences Th- there's no one who doesn't want to do that uh, we just really want to stress this point in, in our examples in that make sure you really understand why you want to travel and why you want to go to those places and and what you hope to derive from those places that you visit if it's something that you maybe could experience closer to home a memory you just want to go on an adventure go to an adventure and a few hours away something that's not across yeah. the world so uh, traveling is fantastic and I, trevor and i both want to travel more and often just but just make sure that it, it, you really know why you want to travel well lying on a on a beach in warm weather uh, on beach sand. I mean, it doesn't really matter where you are so long you're warm and you're on a beach. I mean, that, that's a question you got to ask yourself. Now, if you're going to see some historical aspect of a, of a, new, of a different country or you want to immerse yourself in the culture of another country, that's a whole other story. That's a fantastic example, and I love that. I love that. Just realize, because there's a beach. There's beaches everywhere in Canada on a nice, sunny, warm summer day. So I, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's move on to strategy number five. Be mindful of the cost when evaluating what others have. And we do, one of the later strategies is spending time with people who spend money like you spend money. But this still leaches into the same idea of surrounding yourself by people who are like-minded. You know, they, we talked about keeping up with the Joneses and, and that's, a, that's a dangerous thing. But there's another thing called the uh, Diderot effect. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. It's by it was developed and named after a French philosopher. And he basically it's it's if you buy a if you have a new kitchen installed, just I'm using an example here, your your existing appliances will look you know horrible in that new kitchen. If you buy a, a, some new clothes, your accessories will look old and dated and out of fashion, so you need to upgrade those. So, part of lifestyle inflation could be uh, that Diderot effect. That's a really fascinating concept. I like that. It- and, and and in terms of you know 
evaluating what, what others have. It's you have to also, when you look at somebody who's got a new car, you have to know that, that, that maybe there's a whole lot of debt that goes with that. So you have to be good with the debt. And, you know, if you really want the new car, you also have to consider the cost. So it's, it's, you have to look at the whole picture. You can't just look at the end. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And I, this, this strategy, it goes a little bit beyond um, what your friends are doing because that, that's really what one of the later strategies really focuses on. But this, and it's hard because we live in a society where we are surrounded by people who all have different mentalities when it comes to spending. So other people might have or do more luxurious things than you do, but we can't control what other people do. And we, and we really c- can't ultimately control everyone we're surrounded by. So it, it is challenging. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this challenging to everyone out there when you're constantly surrounded by images from corporations and, and people telling you what you should be doing and what you're missing out on because you're not doing those things. Well, you know, where I work, I struggle with in starting in February till about the middle of April. I, I, I struggle to, you know, I'm happy for the people I work with who go away on vacations down South, but they, they, all these people, they, they talk about the vacation they're going to go on. And I would too, if I were going on one and they come back with a tan and they talk about how warm it was and the great weather and I, I am quite envious of that, but I do keep my goal in front of me, so I, I don't lose sight of that. But uh, I, I really struggle, especially, you know, get January, February, March, when these people are going and coming back from their, their warm southern vacations. Uh, I just keep telling them myself, my time is coming. And it's, it's natural to feel that pang of jealousy. I mean, it'd be human not to, but like, like you... But I don't, I don't know if I, I maybe jealousy is too strong of a word. I and en- may well envy jealousy. I guess it's the same thing. No, no. I, I envy is probably more accurate because you 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 envy that they got to go to somewhere warm. But and I think that's really what takes uh, Trevor. How long has that taken to really practice and be good at accepting that you have your own goals and other people have theirs? You know, you have to work at it every day. It it it's never easy. And, and when somebody pulls in the parking lot in a brand new car. I, I'm not. I'm no fool. I can appreciate that. That's a brand new car. How how nice it must be to drive that. But again, it it gets in the way of my long term goals. I, I've been accused of living too much for tomorrow by many people, people I work with, families, friends, and, and I probably do. But uh, I, I I just can't turn it off. I've worked sort of very hard at cultivating that mindset, and I hope I don't come to regret it at some point in the future. So, Trevor, there's a really great paragraph in here that I didn't realize. Uh, I, I did until I read this, but yes, everyone, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are the same, feel the same way, but, and I'm sure you do too. There's tons of things you want to do, but I am always so aware of the negative financial impacts of those decisions. That's the first thing that crosses my mind. And I'm, maybe that's a little bit of a, of a debilitating feature in that do maybe I'm not living fully because I'm always thinking about the negative financial impacts, but that is always the first thing that comes to my mind when something fun comes around. I'm always, I'm always saying to myself, what are the negative financial impacts of this decision? And can I afford to make that decision? Well, I kind of use that as a, as a gauge myself to know if this thing's really going to add a lot of value to my life is if that, how quickly that thought that you're describing comes into my mind. So if it comes in right away, then I, I know deep down I'm not going to get a lot of value or the the cost, the value is not going to offset the cost of whatever it is I'm looking at. But if, if I, if 
if it takes a while, like if I if I'm at a store and I look at something and I say, wow, that'd be nice to have. And if if it isn't until uh, I get home and really contemplate whether that cost is worth it, then chances are there's a lot of value in that thing for me. And I kind of I kind of measure the time distance between when I want whatever it is and when the you know the thought of how much it costs sets in. The, the wider that time gap, the more likely it is that that thing will add true value to my life. That's a great uh, process of, of thinking about it because it is true how how fast that thought. But, but you have you have to be honest with yourself because you you could you could play mind games with yourself, right? So I I I know like that I that I. I trust myself, but I mean, somebody could manipulate their own mind into stretching that out. So you, you have to be honest with yourself. And I think that the the idea of stretching that out and justifying yourself is something that happens all too often. But this this idea, I, I think it really, it either, I think some people maybe think this way naturally and some people have to work at it. But I'm going to use the example. I actually, I just wrote my last university exam yesterday. So officially done and on the forefront of everyone's mind and what what's the really the the talk on campus is everyone's grad trip and I'm, I'm not going on a grad trip just that's not lining in line with my financial priorities right now so but at the same time I don't feel deprived I am super content as I am right now and which is which is something that makes me realize that the decision of not going on a grad trip is actually better than going on the grad trip because I would be constantly worried on my trip about the financial consequences of this trip it's just i mean i'm not how i how do you operate do you operate that way trevor well like i say it depends on the thing there's certain things that that are are going to add a lot of value to my life and they're they're worth the expense so a brand new car is I, i'm not a car guy so it's not going to add a lot of value to my life a grad trip i mean that that's a that's a personal call right a lot of times I'd like to break things into, um, so a grad trip is one of these things where it's a, it's a moment in time, right? That, that you, you probably can't repeat. So it, it's one of those ones that you could potentially regret. I'm not saying you will, but that's kind of how I, I use these things is if I don't do this now, will I have an opportunity to do it in the future? If I don't buy this item now, can I buy it in the future? So you want to sort of, break them into categories of, of potential, you know, regret. And I can do this at any time. So that's kind of how, and so obviously one's a lot more high risk than the other. I want to argue on you on that point, Trevor, because I'm sensing, I feel a lot of fear of missing out in, in what you just said, that concept, which is dangerous to think about. But I think it's mo- less of fear of missing out. And I mean, that's not even a very healthy mentality to think about when it comes to financial decisions anyway. But and moving more towards what is important intrinsically to you and what is going to bring you value because in getting away from what society says you should be doing and what society says should bring you value because it, it, trips are amazing and it, it, realistically I should want to derive value from going on a trip to celebrate this great accomplishment but I don't and I think that is is what I, you really need to focus on when making decisions is is this truly important to me? You know, this podcast is all about breaking the uh, standard mentality about personal finance. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I actually take a lot of pleasure in, in doing, you know, sort of doing the opposite of what society says we should do. 
I love that point and hopefully why our listeners are maybe deriving value from this podcast because they can tune in to hear maybe some alternative ways of being that really go against what society says they should be doing. I kind of use that almost as a, as, a, as a point of confirmation when I make a decision. I'm saying, you know, what is society doing as a whole uh, on this particular topic? And, you know, if I'm doing something different, I almost use that as a conf- confirming and maybe I'm, I'm making the right choice here. So it, that kind of supports what you're doing with your, your grad trip is a lot of times just because society's doing it, if, if the masses are doing it, that means marketing's working. Uh, yeah. Right? Oh, exactly. It, it, and I've pushed back and I have the, I've had the inner strength to, to recognize that and say, Hey, I, I don't want to, I don't want to fall victim to that myself. Oh, for sure. And it, uh, yes, that I, I wholeheartedly completely agree with that statement and that it, it, realistically you should always be stopping and, and thinking who's, who's really driving this thought into my head. So moving on to strategy number six, maintain a family budget. We haven't done a show on budgeting and I keep saying we're going to, but Budgeting is is super important. It's a roadmap for your finances. It's the key to, I think, everything is a documented budget. And I've had one uh, since I've made money. I've, I've documented. And we talked about what a budget was sort of in general concepts, but I, I won't go there today. When it comes to lifestyle inflation, the, a lot of people budget money as, you know, my food costs is, you, I guess what you want to stay away from is, is using percentages when you budget because that is the definition of lifestyle inflation. So as your income goes up, your expenses go up incrementally by fixed percentages. You want to stay away from that mentality. It, to avoid lifestyle inflation, you have a budget with, with fixed dollar amounts. And if you have that and, and you live by your budget, you'll never be a victim of lifestyle inflation. This article talks about how when you when you do have changes to your income level, they increase, you do want to make the correct changes to your budget. And one of the categories they suggest increasing is your debt repayment category. I want to ask you a question about this, though. The mentality, there, I, I think there's two kind of mentalities, and I wanted to ask you about this. One is, let's pay off my debt as fast as possible. And one is more of a balanced approach. I can go on my vacation and pay off my debt more slowly. So and when I when I think about paying off debt more slowly, I'm thinking the pay off debt and still enjoy my life. So, but we're, what, what's really behind both of those? Well, when you when you do make decisions like to aggressively pay off debt, you, you go into what I call uh, lifestyle deprivation. That's where you... You, de- you deprive yourselves of, of comforts and luxuries in life for a period of time. And we're all human, so I believe you can sustain lifestyle deprivation for only so long, and then you need rewards. It's just human nature. So I would caution anybody who wants to endure extended lifestyle deprivation, meaning you're de- de- depriving yourself of of whatever you consider luxuries or comforts of life uh, for, I don't know, a year is too long, in my opinion. You need to reward yourself periodically. Uh, you know, you need to have a reason for going to work every day. And it, and I'm not talking extravagant rewards, but you, you, cannot, you cannot do this for too long without suffering 
depression or some other psychological impact it could affect your relationships. So it's it's a dangerous place to go. So I, I think there needs to be a balance. But Trevor, it's all relative in that the lifestyle you live in that if, if any of your listeners have been around for a while, they know that you don't go on the yearly vacations and you go on more moderate vacations. And maybe to some people, those moderate vacations are are, are a weekend and, and don't really count. So I think it's all relative. I mean, I know the this this concept is supposed to be very personal, but it's, I think if someone could look at your lifestyle and say, one of our listeners could be saying to themselves right now, but Trevor, you have lived your whole life in, in a deprivation. Well, you're right. But I mean, if I do anything, if I do anything that is entertainment of any kind, if I go to see a movie, uh, just last week I went to see a, a, a live musical act and that's a reward. I mean, it's obviously, I'm not saving money by doing that. I'm spending money. So you, you need to do those things on, I say, regular intervals. Otherwise, you're going to fall into uh, depression or anxiety or even anger uh, if, if you keep depriving yourself. You need, they don't have to be expensive and they, they just have to be rewarding. The opposite of saving is, is, is spending. So you need to spend some money on yourself. It's important for your mental health. So you're saying that if for you... You, I guess you just have to adjust what rewarding is for you. If rewarding, the only thing that's truly rewarding is going on a very luxurious vacation, then maybe readjust how you can, quote-unquote, reward yourself. Yeah, like if you're sitting on a mountain of debt, you can ramp down what you consider a reward. If, you, if, if, you're, re, if, if you're sitting on a mountain of debt, chances are the, the things you were choosing to reward yourself with were outside of your, uh, your price range. So you need to redefine what a reward or a, a luxury is. So it's it's really putting things in perspective. Well, we're talking about rewards. I want to. I just want to highlight that because that's something a point that both these articles brought up in the very first few paragraphs of of each is that uh, both of the both of these authors they came out of school and they they got their first job. And they said, I deserve this. I deserve to increase my spending from a student to a working professional because I have, I have lived so long as a student. I, I deserve this. So how, how do you, wh- wh- what are your thoughts on this mentality? Well, I get wanting to get out of that student lifestyle. But we talked about this before. If you can sustain that for a few years and, and lay down a foundation of savings, uh, you can really uh, have a great launch pad into life. So it's, I get the temptation to want to break out of that student lifestyle. It, it's, it's tough. And the, the more people that you know that have broken away from the student lifestyle, the harder it is to stay in it. So it's, it's not easy. But I mean, the reason we do this podcast is, is, is to kind of normalize what's not, what we, we consider not easy. Like I, I'm trying to, we're trying to create a, a mindset that, that these not easy things actually are beneficial. Definitely. And the whole idea of, I, I do love the whole idea of living a student like a student when you're no longer a student. And I think one a great analogy is that it, it's it's like when you have to, when you have to walk somewhere, if walking is your only option, then it, it's a drag. But if you're walking, if you're out for a leisurely walk because you want to be out for a walk, it's enjoyable. So I think you might be able to live like a student if you know that, 
you're not actually, this isn't, you're not living at your means. If, if you're making a, a bigger income and you're putting it aside and still living like a student, you might feel better about it because you know you're doing it by choice and not because you have to. Well, and that's a great, I, I love the way you've brought that up. I, I don't go on international vacations, not because I can't afford to, it's because I, I've consciously chosen not to. So in the, your thing with walking, me and my wife call that a good walk and a bad walk. And if we, we all go on a five kilometer walk to get some exercise, but if my car broke down and I had to walk five kilometers to uh, get gas, like if I ran out of gas, I had to walk five kilometers to get gas, that's a bad walk. So it, it's all relative. And it's, but if you're doing it by choice, like minimalism, I, I have a theory on minimalism. If, if you, if you're, if you don't make a whole lot of money and you don't have a lot of things, that might be called poor. But if you make a lot of money, you don't have a lot of things that could be defined as minimalism. So it's, it's really, if you're doing it by choice, I, I think that's a great point you bring up. So Trevor, let's talk, let's talk about strategy number seven, budget for personal expenses. So, so you were saying that you implemented the idea of allowance with you and your wife, uh, around the same time your kids started receiving allowance. So how did the dynamic of your kids having an allowance and you having an allowance, how did that conversation take place at the dinner table? And how did your kids think about money because of that? Kids think, you know, the parents have this limitless supply of money and, and they can buy anything they want. But when they realized that, you know, their, their parents got the same allowance they got and we only had that amount of money to spend, they, they had a new appreciation for just how to manage money, knowing we were we were going through the same process with them and we would have to make similar decisions that they had to make. Now, we also had to make household decisions about money, but have those conversations separate from our kids. They learned by watching us make decisions about how to use our allowance. I really love that because in the article by Jacqueline Curtis, she talks about how someone who makes $150,000 per year and spends a certain percentage on eating out that percentage could be the exact same as someone who makes them less than 20000 per year. The percentage in eating out could be the exact same, but dollar-wise, dollar it's going to be a lot less. So this translates so perfectly over to the allowance example in that you and your wife probably had a bigger allowance than your children, but you still could look at it through the exact same lens. That was a good example of, of how, how we both had similar challenges but at different dollar levels. So let's move on to... Number eight, choose substance over style. And this is, I think, a very important point when we're talking about lifestyle inflation. The biggest problem with lifestyle inflation is luxury, I, I think, is is really the, the biggest driver of lifestyle inflation. Is And I use my example with a car. I had a sort of the base model, and I got a new job, and I bought the sport model of the same car. You know, the car, the same, it, it looked similar inside, you got me from point A to point B in the same amount of time, but it was just fancier. And fancy's nice. I'm I'm not crazy. I like fancy things, but you really have to. You can't have well, you can, but you shouldn't have everything fancy if you want to stay away from lifestyle inflation. I mean, you you might you might have a few things in life that are important to you, and it, just say clothing is one of those. If you, if you're a high fashion dresser, that's fine. Be at the high fashion dresser, but but don't have everything high high end. And that's that Diderot effect that can really impact this one where you upgrade one thing and you feel the need to upgrade uh, accessories or associated items. And that can really, uh, you know, spiral into a, into a bad, bad place. 
this kind of goes into the whole minimalist mindset and that you're just getting rid of something that is perfectly fine and works perfectly well just because it's old or not as flashy. Uh, and and again, like you said, if you apply this to every aspect of your life, then you're you're gonna you're gonna head towards debt in in no time. Well, the biggest temptation in our society today, I think, is is cell phones. Uh, how many people upgrade a phone that a perfectly working a perfectly working phone for the the latest model? I mean that that's lifestyle inflation. My philosophy on phones is whatever. If right now the latest iPhone out is the iPhone Seven, if I were to go out and buy a phone today, I'd buy the iPhone Six S. Stay, I stay behind the technology curve. It, the savings is is huge, but th- that's probably something everybody listening to this show has probably well not everybody, but a lot of people have fallen victim to is is lifestyle inflation when it comes to cell phones and. Uh, technology companies make that that easy because the models look different so and they're different sizes so you can tell you can tell when change has been made and you can tell when that person is behind so uh, that's something again that we've been a little bit brainwashed into into thinking that my i i know Brain? i'm not having i don't know i don't have the newest model and i everyone can tell everyone has the, like it's that like, mentality i have no idea how they can stand on stage when they're delivering the the, the, the keynote speech for the new iphone and they can say, this is the best iPhone ever. And then one year later, make that phone look like a piece of crap. Yeah. I don't know how they can do that with a straight face, but they do every year. That, no, that's, that is a fantastic point. You're, you're, you're so right. And, and it just makes you stop and think and, and ask yourself, like, I question, question your, how you are thinking about your phone. And I think. It's it's really prominent with with things that change, such as the iPhone. Everyone, um, there's a lot of iPhones out there, and so so you can you can really it's very prominent. But even just clothing, because and the small purchases, in that they they can add up. And if if you're constantly feeling like you're inadequate because you you don't have the latest fashion, it, that can get dangerous as well. It, so the price tag, yes, it's more dangerous if it's a higher price tag item, such as a car or a home. But it's also dangerous, too, because small purchases do add up. So I think you have to be very just aware and conscious of your every decision. Trevor, let's move on to strategy number nine. Build friendships with people that have similar or lesser budgets and philosophies. So like we have said, we have we created an episode uh, called Toxic Relationships. And this really this really unpacks uh, the idea of spending time and being surrounded by people who either bring you up and and match your philosophies or those who don't. Well, there's a theory that you're the the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So that that would really apply to this this strategy. You know, I have a friend who uh, retired at 55. He's a little bit older than me, and spending time with him is is good and bad. Uh, so as he was working toward his retirement, spending time with him was great because I really got inside his head and understood the sacrifices he was making to get to that 55 retirement goal. But now that he's retired, boy, it's really hard to spend time with him because he, you know, he quite often will ask me, is today Saturday? (laughs) And anybody who works knows today is Saturday. So that kind of drives me crazy. But uh, it was great spending time with him when he was working toward the same goal I was because we, we would have no problem. You know, we'd go to a, uh, a trade show like the there's a sportsman show in Toronto we would go to that and we'd both pack a lunch and one for two reasons one we were kind of health nuts so we really we really want to eat healthy food and two is what they charge for food at those shows is is 
is astronomical. So uh, we didn't, we, we just knew we were each going to pack a lunch. So we didn't feel awkward or, you know, feel the need to, you know, spend money unnecessarily. So spending time with him, it was, it was great because we both had the exact same philosophy. Which is so important. And I think you really, I think it's subconscious. If you spend time with a group of friends who push you towards lifestyle inflation, it subconsciously seeps through. And even, um, it happens at every level because, uh, for example, if, if you take, take buying coffee, I, it's exam, it was exam period. So I spent a lot of time on campus and I'm, I'm usually really good for packing coffee and, and just, and just buying, just, just packing my coffee and that's it. But being on campus where everyone's like, Oh, I'm getting a coffee. I'm getting coffee. I'm getting coffee. It makes me want to buy more coffee. So that's a very tiny minute example, but it's something when you're surrounded by, by people, you kind of, you really just, it's like your sponge. You just absorb the energy and the mentality of those around you. So, but again, that's, that example is definitely not, uh, not a deal breaker, but at a bigger level where vacation, like Trevor, you could be at work and totally absorbing the vacation mentality, which is, which is fine if it was in line with your goals, but because it's not, it becomes dangerous and it detracts from you achieving your long-term goals. Oh, I've had the, um, travel agency website up on my computer at work several times <laughs> with the trip selected and people standing over my shoulders saying, click by, click by, you know? So I, I've come really close. The temptations are, are are horrible, and that's not a coffee. That would be a serious consequence to that. So it, it's hard. It really is. Let's move on to strategy number ten: test drive lifestyle upgrades and see if they bring lasting joy. So one of the examples is if you're thinking of moving and into a new place, if you're renting and the rent's going to be higher, you're and you're maybe wondering how can I am I going to make it by with a higher rent what you can do is put aside the extra money into a separate account and see how you are are doing with a higher rent so the example says if you're currently paying $500 a month and you want to move into a place with that's a $900 a month put the extra money aside and see see if you miss it well this is a a great strategy me and my wife employed so we're supporting three children off at post secondary uh, school right now so they have all their school costs their um, living expenses their rent their groceries and all that stuff and we have a documented budget and we've isolated uh, our cost of living meaning, meaning me, my, my wife and my cost of living and the cost that we're spending on supporting our children at school and what we've discovered is we are living on uh, far less money than we thought we were so it just by documenting a budget, which was one of the early strategies, we've isolated our costs versus the cost of our children, and we've realized that we don't need a whole lot of income to support our current lifestyle. So it's kind of the same idea. You you need to be able to isolate those costs to maybe get to the same conclusion. Trevor, the example you just gave perfectly summed up this whole episode in that your you and your wife, which is a point that comes from Jacqueline Curtis's article as well, but you and your wife are completely content on living on this income. So the the argument for uh, inflation, lifestyle inflation, is why change the way you're living if you're happy with it? When you get more income, I'm you and your wife will, I'm sure, be have a, have a lot more income when you're done supporting your three children. So you you and your wife could go two ways. You could stay as you are well, relatively close to where you are and be happy because you're happy right now. You're content with the way you're living and, or consuming all the extra income that you'll have 
in your everyday life. Yeah, no, I well, obviously we're planning to uh, save our money for retirement, but um, we're we're living a what I consider a fairly comfortable life. I mean, we're not making a whole lot of sacrifices. And I think that's important is is knowing the sacrifices, but being learning to be content in the way you're living because. And I, I think, Trevor, because I'm sure you've said in the past that you have been someone who's always maybe been wanting more. And, and even in the way that you moved from house to house, you would just wanted bigger and more. So I, what, what's been the process of you becoming more content with the way that you are right now? Because I think that's a secret, being content with the way you are and not always wanting that increase uh, of pay and increase of luxuriousness. Well, just over time, I've just seen that the the things I've bought and added, you know, I'll talk, say material possessions have brought me very uh, short term satisfaction or happiness, and so I, I've just found that I, I I get very little value out of out of the things I was spending money on. So it's it's really just I I think age and time and experience has kind of opened my eyes to spending more money is is not brought me uh, extended happiness. My last point before we end this episode, I just want to there in Jacqueline Curtis article, there is emphasis on spending money, but on experiences. Why is this always like it makes sense, but why is there always this recommendation towards expending on experiences rather than than things don't both bring happiness? Well, so if you buy a material possession, just say you bought a, a new iPhone, that phone is going to bring as soon as that phone becomes integrated in your day to day life. It's newness and the excitement from having that wears off quickly. And if anything, it becomes a, a boat anchor, something you have to keep track of. Whereas an experience, it, it gives you memories and you can draw on those memories at any time and, and, and you know, relive that event in your mind. And I, I think it just, it's long lasting. In fact, the material possession, as it gets older, it brings discontent because it could, maybe it loses some of its functionality. And if you haven't experienced the memories, as they get older and fade a bit, you may uh, enhance, the, you know, the, the vacation was actually, you know, in your mind better than it actually was. So it could actually grow in value as time passes. I, I love that example. That's That resonates so deeply. My final follow-up question is, is it more justifiable to spend on experience than a, a a thing or do you still have to take the same kind of route it just it, reading Jacqueline Curtis article it'll be on the show notes so our, our listeners can check it out but I just I got the I it kind of came across as if it was much more justifiable to spend it on experience don't spend it on things even if you can't afford them, but always spend it on experiences. I did you did you get that from the article? I just I felt this little bit of a disconnect between between the messaging and. But I I did get that. Is generally it's it's easier to justify a material possession than it is an experience. It's easier to justify in that you can apply practical principles to you know if I have this possession and my I can become more efficient at something or it'll make my life easier because I have this thing, whereas experiences generally don't deliver practical benefits. But but in the same breath, I'm a huge fan of, of experiences over possessions. So Trevor, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I'm going to say lifestyle inflation is a double-edged sword. So if you ramp up your lifestyle inflation, it obviously reduces the amount of money you can save for your goals. 
And if his money's purpose is to buy freedom, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants freedom. If you ramp up your lifestyle and have this very high-end lifestyle where inflation has brought it up to a level that is consuming all your income, you have a long way to fall to get to a sustainable lifestyle that maybe you could could be free at. So lifestyle inflation can hinder your long-term goals and it might even wipe them out. Absolutely well said, Trevor, and definitely something our listeners can implement into their everyday life if they're not already thinking actively about lifestyle inflation and the effects that has on their life. So to wrap up this episode, remember to enter Take Action April. You have one week left. We'll be having the draw for our book giveaway at the very end of the month and announcing that on our social media and our website on May 1st. On May 1st as well, we will also launch our Minimalism May at livelifesimple.ca where we'll have all the details about that, but we'll also dedicate next epi- a little bit of the next episode to talking about that and what minimalism may and the challenge is that it's going to encompass. If you haven't checked out any our social media yet, please do that. We have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we post about episodes that come out as well as our challenges and our giveaways and different things throughout the month. We have recently put up uh, a bio for Trevor and I so and our faces are up there too so you you can um, go over to livelifesimple.ca and on the about page we have posted a little bit about us and we want to get to know you so if you have anything to share with us send us an email get in contact with us we love hearing from you and and hearing how you are going about your personal finance journey for all everything that we've mentioned it'll be in our show notes our links to our social media will be in our show notes as well but on everything, if you search Simple Money Solutions podcast, you will find us. And Trevor, is there anything else I'm forgetting? Yeah, we'd really appreciate some reviews uh, on iTunes. They really help us get noticed, which is a great, uh, a great thing if you can spread the word about our Simple Money Solution. And that'll that'll just allow other people to derive the same value that you're hopefully deriving from the from our podcast as well. So until next week, keep it simple. 